Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Daniel Norcross from BBC's Test Match Special, BT Sport, uh, Zero Ducks Given and a variety of other areas of general cricket whiblage. And I'm joined... Are you a patron of any charities, Dan? Uh, yeah, the Lord's Taverners. You a godfather? Um, yeah, yeah, too well, many, actually. On. don't leave being, don't Well, leave being a child... See, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a childless man, you see. And the result is that people seem to think man. that when... Childless, and possibly charm, <laughs> childless. And, you see, people take pity on the charm, on the childless man. And they, they think you would like to be someone's godfather when there is nothing worse than having to remember a child's birthday every year that's not your own. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, hello that, to all those dad's got children. Nice to speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of them like cricket. They've been put off it terribly by me. Um, as you've just heard there, the interventions of a, a mighty, a, a scion of the cricketing journalistic world, the chief writer of the Press Association, the puff pastry hangman himself, who's wrapped up in a warm jumper in the north of England as a cold, icy blast is due to descend from Scotland shortly. It's Rory Dollard. Hello, Rory. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, we are. We're almost there for this year. It's been a, it's been a hell of a year, yeah. really, for English cricket, but we've got a, I don't know, they never quite stopped, so we've got a little bit of news to get through today, haven't we? We have. In fact, in fact, those are the three things we're going to be talking about today. They're all current things. We'll we'll do a uh, a reflection on the year before the year is out. But for today, it's all about the announcement of England men's squads, Test match squads, ODI squads. What does that tell us about the general thinking? Who's been rested? Who's been brought back? What happens in the opening slot? I've got an interesting theory on that coming up. The women. The mighty England women, they have been unbeaten on their eight-match tour of the West Indies, sweeping all before them. But, well, has it been useful as build-up towards the World T20 starting in South Africa in mid-February? I don't know. We shall discuss that. And then it's all about the money, the moolah. It's the IPL auction. It's happening pretty much as we speak. And there are some eye-catching and eye-watering buys involving a lot of England men who already have contracts. I think... Those Christmases are going to be filled with um, some of the biggest and finest presents uh, ever produced in the cricketing world. Anyway, let us move straight on because it's squad announcement day. Well, it has been for a couple of days now. I'd like to start, we'll come on to the ODI shortly, but I'd like to start mm-hmm. with the test squad because there's been a little bit of chopping and changing. England have won in Pakistan 3-0. Unprecedented and yet out goes Wunderkind Rehan Ahmed despite seven mm-hmm. wickets on debut the youngest man ever to debut for England in a test match. Out goes Mark Wood. He needs he needs rest. I know the test series doesn't start until February, but he's a man who needs at least two months rest. And we can kind of understand that. Also, out goes Liam Livingston. No sign of him getting better just yet, but I think it's actually about the, the way the squad is comprised. He's not there. Back comes Stuart Broad, long of the tooth. Staying in is Jimmy Anderson. Back comes Matt Potts. Mm. Out goes Keaton Jennings. So the first thing I want to put to you, Rory, there are two openers in this squad. Two openers. One of them is Ben Duckett. This -hmm. is how far we've come in the last six months. Zach Crawley, Ben Duckett, no other reserve opener. So if anything happens to either of them, and let's face it, batters do get injured as well as bowlers, Mm -hmm. who is the replacement opener in that team and does it give us any hints as to how they might get Johnny Bairstow back into the side come the Ashes summer? In the short term I get the feeling that 
that they haven't necessarily crossed that bridge in their own mind. It's a two-match series. It doesn't, you know, it's not as though they're there for a, an extended period of time where there's going to be great, you know, variations. It would have to be a, a freak, unexpected injury. But they do happen. Boundary sponges exist. We do know that. But it, I suspect from everything we've heard uh, from ben, Brendan McCullum and, and Ben Stokes, and certainly the way they've been fluid with their batting lineup and, and, and shifted it around, I think if Ben Duckett trips on a boundary sponge the day before the test match in Wellington, I think they'll just look around the dressing room and see who's got the most optimistic look on their face and let them open the batting. Genuinely, I do. <laughs> if they've actually got as far in that meeting as lining up the replacement opener, I'd be very surprised. I think they think they've got a load of good cricketers and they'll just punch them into shape as and when they feel like it. Well, there's two options, it seems to me, and uh, in the event of that happening. And I take your point, it's a short term. Likelihood of it happening is small. Um, if you're Zach Crawley or Ben Duckett, you basically know that you're nailed on to play those two tests, fitness mm. permitting. But there's two options. One is Harry Brook. The other is Joe Root. Now, we've got to this sort of selfless stage of the Basball Stokes revolution. And among the more under-the-radar selfless players has been Joe Root. He didn't you know, play the Joe Root way, particularly in Pakistan, where... There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of runs for the taking. He felt he needed to get on with it in the same tempo as everybody else, perhaps slightly to the detriment of his own game. And I wouldn't be surprised if he says, yeah, Skip, I'll do it. He has opened in test matches before. He's had 100, got 190 and in one innings in a test match. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be the worst replacement. And the other obvious choice is fellow Yorkshireman Harry Brook, who I'm pretty sure has done that job as well. Now people say, Yorkshire, yeah, yeah d- don't mess with a young man and his talent and blah, blah, blah. And they will say all that. But it's not like that anymore. Sports science is a thing of the past. It sports feels, isn't it? It sports feels. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I like it. Um, I like it. But I uh, I never want to hear that. I'll see that ever again. <laughs> um, uh, so there's another thing with Root. And I think a lot of it, whether that is a live option of any kind will depend a huge amount on his relationship with Stokes, which is rock solid, airtight, great mates. And if they can come to some kind of understanding about that, yeah, sure, it might happen. More generally, I get the feeling that Root is seeing this chapter of his career a little bit more for him. I think in that captaincy, five and a five and a bit years, I think he gave a lot. And probably a lot more than your average fan might fully appreciate. And by appreciate, I mean the results ended badly, and I think that tainted some some views. But Root Root gave everything to that job, and he forewent the the prospect of T Twenty gigs. And some might say people weren't falling over themselves to contract Joe Root in T Twenty franchise cricket. But he took himself out of that conversation a little bit before anyone else did. He was, in 2016, he was England's, you know, real sort of match winner in the middle order in T20 cricket. And he prioritised the test team and his responsibilities within it a lot. So I do feel like if you look at, and this plays into a little bit of the ODI squad, he's not in the ODI squad. He is going to play in the UAE T20 league um, instead to sort of broaden his T20 horizons. I think Joel Root might see this phase of his career as a chance to get a little bit back because he gave a lot. And if he 
if he doesn't think that opening the batting is particularly great for him, I, would, I don't expect him to be chucking his hand up in the air and desperate mm-hmm. to do it. I, I look, and I, nobody should begrudge Joe Root, as you said, he gave so much to that job as captain, and you mentioned to the detriment of his T Twenty. It's amazing, isn't it, that Kane Williamson, Virat Kohli, and um, Steve Smith have made a lot of money out of T mm-hmm. Twenty, and you'd argue that. Joe Root is no different a player with the bat, certainly from Kane Williamson. I mean, Virat Kohli, a little bit more powerful, you might say, perhaps, but Steve Smith is not an obvious T20 player. And if you put on top of that, Root's bowling in T20 is something that's never really been properly utilised. Now, Stokes has used him loads in Pakistan, but that round arm filth is horrible Mm. to get away. It's all about, you know, can you get underneath the off spinner? Hard to get underneath him because he yep. bowls his round arm undercutters. You know, you could easily see him bowling the first over of an innings and going for four or five, you know, he, and then on top of that, have him coming in at three. You don't really need anchors, particularly in T20, but if Kay Williamson's allowed to do that, and Steve Smith's allowed to do that, yeah. why isn't Joe Root allowed to do that? Root did that in the World T20 final in 2016. He got two wickets, mm. opened the bowling, just having yeah. top scored with the bat. Got Chris so, Gale. When people tell you that Joe Root has no T20 status to speak of. In 2016, he absolutely did. And he, he cashed out on it for England's benefit or for what he perceived to be England's benefit. So, yeah, listen, Joe Root opener. I mean, it's been such a push getting him to three in the past, getting him <laughs> another one higher than that. And I don't know, asking him to, do you want, do you want to finish your career facing Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell yeah. Stark and Pat Cummins with the new ball? Is, do you feel like so, you've earned that, earned that right to, to slide down a little bit? He probably has. So I think we go back to Harry Brook, don't we? Yeah, um, probably, before we yeah. leave Before we leave the test map section and, and briefly look at the ODIs, just a word on the bowling lineup. Um, a big change, very different conditions in New Zealand, of course. So, you know, England began the first test at Raul Pindi with sort of a host of spinners, you know, Livingston, Jacks, Leach, Root. That was kind of the idea with Robinson and Anderson. Um, doing, I was going to say the hard yards, but not actually the hard yards because they're brilliantly managed by Stokes in very small bursts. Go out to New Zealand. This is the place that broke Joffre Archer, Mount Monganui, mm. 43 overs. Thank you very much. End of elbow. Good night, Charlie. Um, and they've gone out there, bearing in mind that Stokes, will he be more likely to bowl some more overs by then? I don't know. It's two matches. He probably will bring himself on if need be. But they've gone out there with what you can say is a battery of seam bowlers. Anderson, Robinson, Potts, Ollie Stone um, in that squad. There's, there's, there's a lot knocking about broad back. You know, there's five quick bowlers to choose from in a 15-man squad with Ben Stokes there. Jack Leach is the nailed-on only spinner, really. And Will Jacks retained. And I think oh, that raised a few eyebrows because um, I don't know how, uh, you know, what the justification for that is particular. I think he's a very, very fine player. Um, I don't know when he's going to get used in New Zealand, but is that really, you know, they see him as a guy for the future. They want him around the squad. They know he's going to be playing for England in years to come. So let's let's have him there. I mean, could he open the bag? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's just Why not? having, Why having not? had the conversation about who the spare opener might be. Maybe it's Will Jacks. <laughs> That's the answer. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but listen, you're the makeup of the squad. I would like to say that there's. I've already heard a few people griping about Rayan Ahmed not being in it and that, you know, surely he's overtaken Jack Leach. He's played four games of first-class cricket, you know, one of them's a test match. 
So I would applaud England for not not just getting the vapours and and throwing him in because if his next test match is on a flat one and he and they put him and they roll him out on a, a New Zealand pitch that allows Devon Conway to bat forever and uh, is that good for Ian Ahmed or not? Or, or is just taking a little bit of a a broader view on him sensible? I would say it's sensible. It might be that his next England appearance is in Bangladesh in, in the white ball games and they're just starting to see where the limits of Rayan Ahmed are and what they're going to get out of him in the future. So sensible, pragmatic decision, I think, uh, that. And Rob Key's made loads of them. I mean, Luke Wright's coming in as selector, by the way, in March. Mm. And every single squad that Rob Key oversees has is just like dripping with logic and sense and good mm. hope. I like it. So he's got a bit of a job to do there. Last of all, the games are very back-to-back. You know, there's almost no time between the games at all. They're just, they're just chucked right up next to each other. And that's why I think that you've got so many seamers, because I suspect the two seam bowling attacks will look very different for those two matches. I suspect Anderson plays one, Broad plays one. Uh, I suspect Stone plays one, not the other. And if there's anyone out there, and he hasn't been seen for a little while, but we have talked about him a few times on this podcast. If there's anyone who would be champing at the bit to do that hard yards and and get his sort of get himself into the dirt and bull load of overs. It's Matthew Potts. He was was pulled out of the team for Ollie Robinson's return and he's been desperate to get back in any of the formats since. He was hoping to to get a chance in the Lions match to get taken over to Pakistan. He didn't get that. But I think he'll be desperate. And 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 one thing we know about him from last year is he can run in and run in and run in and keep going and, and maintain a pretty high level. So uh, hopefully see him back in the England shirt. Feel at all sorry for Jamie Overton? Um, goes to Pakistan, doesn't mm. play a game. He's kind of there as the sort of backup for Wood, you know, as in the the other mm. fast bowler. But they ended up playing Wood in back to back Test matches, which surprised me hugely. Um, mm. I, I was amazed that he played in the Karachi Test match with England, having won the series two. Now it mm-hmm. seemed like Overton would have been the obvious pick there, and now he's not in the squad. So he's not really done anything wrong to get out of the squad. But um, it's almost like mixing and matching people being away as much as anything else, isn't it? So to get Ollie Stone yeah. a tour, it's a little bit, it's a bit, a little bit like my producer Adam Mountford, who, <laughs> you know, gives you an ODI tour, a T Twenty tour, and then you miss a Test one, and then you come back for a T Twenty, and it's it's, it's, it's sort of rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels better to rotate out having actually got on the park, I suppose, but. Yeah, interesting, really. This is the, the recurring theme of the Overton's career. They're perpetually almost there with England, both of them, and never quite. Mm. Um, ODI squad, quickly, uh, because we're pressed for time. Yeah. It didn't strike me that there were any particularly eyebrow-raising elements of that, except Archer the absence back. of Joe Root and Archer Archer's back. Yeah. back, that's it, man. You know, we were expecting him to be back after he played in the Lions match, but don't underestimate how important it is and how how much England fans will love to see Joffrey Archer backing in an England team. So, yeah, Joe Root has stood down to have to get this T20 experience in the UAE, but it's a six-day series with no warm-up matches, butting heads with South Africa's new T20 tournament. Joffrey Archer's back, and that's the story of the tour, and the rest of it, it can just manifest how it chooses. It's not a big one. I couldn't agree more. It's time for us 
to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be looking at the women and their all-conquering tour of the West Indies. Whether it's missing flights or retirements out of the blue, whether it's resignations or bans, as the old saying goes, there's never a quiet day in West Indies cricket. So make sure you listen to West Indies on 99.94 to stay up to date with all the latest fallout with the teams in Maroon. Welcome back. Three one-day internationals, five T20s. England unbeaten in all of them. And let me just run you through, say unbeaten, victorious in all of them. And uh, let me just run you through the margins of victory. First ODI, 142 runs. Second ODI, curiously also, 142 runs. Third ODI, 151 runs. They're basically twice as good at 50-over format. T20s, there's five of these. They won by eight wickets. They won by 16 runs and 17 runs. Is that tight? Not really. Not in a T20. That's the equivalent of about 45 runs in an ODI. 49 runs in the fourth and eight wickets, which doesn't do it justice in the fifth and final one because they bowled out the West Indies for 43. Australia are playing against India in a series of matches where you've got two modern powerhouses of the game. Australia have won that series 4-1. Is this, has this series, both because it's gone under the radar, it's been very difficult to find decent coverage of it, and also because of the quality of the opposition, thrown up more questions about women's cricket, really, than answered anything about the quality of England and their what is increasingly a deep squad. Yes. Next. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should ask not, more open questions. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, not been, it's not been good for, for, for the women's game in this series, really. And that's not England's fault. They've just taken care of business really, really ruthlessly. Uh, and, and at times, you know, they've changed the team around. They've, they've made changes to bowling attack. They've flipped the batting order a little bit occasionally. And I think at some point they must almost have wished that it would have gone slightly worse, so they could have gauged, you know, you know used a metric yeah. to, to balance against. But every pick team they pick just walks all over them. Um, I'm going to read you now some quotes from Heather Knight. I spoke to her on, uh, on Zoom uh, ahead of the last match, and this is an England captain shooting for a 100% record on tour, eight wins from eight, should be top of the, top of the world, over the moon, about life. Mm. And she said this to me, and I want, you, I want you to see how you think she feels about this tour. We haven't been challenged massively, which is a shame. It's been a weirdly low-key tour, no media, not a huge amount of coverage, and not having third umpires and DRS feels a little bit like going back in time. You get accustomed to it. You have those in domestic competitions at home. And then she goes on to say, it's so important to keep the international game strong. There's a lot of changes on the horizon with the women's IPL and PSL. So it's really important that international cricket is looked after and is strong and that it's kept as the pinnacle of the game. Just a little reminder that international cricket needs to be looked after and invested in. Okay, that is a captain who should be celebrating a magnificent performance. And she's looking after the idea that the the idea that always is in the background with cricket, men's cricket as well, is you can only do well and flourish in cricket if there's an opposition, if there's a strong, healthy game, infrastructure, ecosystem to live and flourish in. 
if you go into the West Indies and winning 8-0 across two formats and almost not having to oh, try all that hard, it doesn't help. It's not going to help the coverage. It's not going to help the broadcasters. And whether that's a, a challenge to the ICC, because I don't blame the West Indies for lagging behind in professionalism. The money isn't there. They just don't have it. I sp- last time we were out there with the England team, we spoke to a lot of the people at Cricket West Indies and they laid bare the fact that keeping keeping international teams on the park is becoming a real, real challenge for them. Series like this, it just throws it into stark relief. And to hear Heather Knight talking like that at a time that should have been triumph and celebration was a wake-up call, I think. Yeah. Well, um, we know exactly the reasons for it. Australia started all this by creating a vast network of professional women cricketers which is brilliant up to over 100 now and England followed suit and I remember being a little bit peeved and there were only 30 I'm still a bit peeved that there's only going to be about I think it's it's moving up to about 70 next season from 50 but and they're not getting paid anything like the same amount as the men which we'll come on to shortly when we look at the, the IPL but they're getting paid enough for it to be a job which means that every day they can think about their job. They can think about what they put in their mouth to eat. They can think about what they need to do to train. They can hit more balls. They can bowl more balls. They can catch more balls. Cricket is their life. Now, for that West Indies side, it isn't. There are a couple of notable exceptions, like Hayley Matthews, but she's got all the burdens imaginable because mm-hmm. she's carrying the entire side on her shoulders. Um, no Stefani Taylor, Deandra Dottin. Deandra Dottin wanted to go totally understandably in search of franchise opportunities, having been a great of the game. This was a West Indies side that, until very recently, were champions of the world in a T20 format and are now a pale shadow of that. And it's one of those really difficult things, isn't it, when when a sport starts to take off, as women's cricket has done in the last 10, 15 years, Australia and England are going along at such a pace. India are very, very close to them with, I think, a women's IPL on the horizon and India recognising that they were lagging behind. So big stars coming out of India, like Smriti Mandana, Dipti Sharma, Harman Preet, and so forth. But that means that countries such as the West Indies, and to a degree New Zealand, have gone backwards. Um, South Africa are the one notable exception to all of this, who, despite the lack of money, are managing to hold their own. But I argue that that's not long for this world. That That's a mm. golden generation of players and they're yeah, coming to the end of their time. Mignol Dupria, Danif Van Niekerk, Marizan Kapp, those players, they're not going to be around for much longer. So, no. you know, the, the T20, World T20 that happens in South Africa will be for them, a lot of them, their swan song. And there's a real danger that women's cricket is heading in a direction where there's going to be three powerhouses and they're going to have to play each other. And guess what? It's England, Australia and India. And it's just reflecting the men's game. Normally, the women's game leads the men's game. Yeah, it is. It's leading it into a three-world... Into a three-country world again. And and it's crazy, isn't it, that on this podcast we should sound depressed about it, that England Mm. have won 8-0, but you're (laughs) absolutely right. But, you know, um, next year you could be forgiven for being very, very, very optimistic about women's cricket because there's going to be a, a T20 World Cup which will no doubt come to a an exciting conclusion and a high-quality conclusion probably. And then we're going to have the women's ashes running concurrently with the men's ashes, test match at Trent Bridge, big grounds, 
it's going to look really healthy for about five months. But that's a mirage, probably, unless people get their act together elsewhere. Um, just briefly before we come off this, we should say, though, that the England players were dominant and a couple of really notable players, I think, have come out of this. Charlie Dean is making herself indispensable for England. She's always had it in her, uh, but she's just taken the next step, it seems to me, in the last year or so. And I think back to that 10th wicket partnership against India, which was ended with the run out yeah. at the non-strikers end. She batted superbly. Um, to, to get England nearly over the line. Uh, it was a fantastic knock from her, and her main job is to be a spin bowler. It's great to see Nat Siver back and mm-hmm. enjoying her cricket again. It's great to see Heather Knight fit again. Freya Davis picking up three for two. England's fast bowling stocks in uh, Izzy Wong and Lauren Bell. Obviously, commiserations to Freya Kemp for her injury that'll take her out of the World T20. But England have got enough backup, and that is a function of exactly what we've been talking about, which is the professionalisation of the women's game. Long may it continue, and long may it get stronger and better. But please, guys, let's keep an eye on everyone else. Right, it's time for our final break. After that, it's bling-bling time. It's the IPL auction. If you enjoy cricket history, then we have a new podcast here from 99.94, Double Century. And by new, I mean it has been around for a little while. We have covered so many topics in our first four seasons already, including an entire series on the first time teams beat England. But now we're back with a new season on the teams that got away. Listen to a new episode every Friday or just binge the first four seasons. It's available on all podcast platforms. Welcome back. Sam Curran's a multimillionaire. He's the uh, he's, he's more than the Dan Christian of his day. He's a left-arm Dan Christian. Remember when Dan Christian went for like whatever it was, like a million dollars and, and Glenn Maxwell and we all like rubbed our eyes and went, how is this possible? What's Sam gone for? 1.8 million or more, is it? $2 million? I've got to say, if anybody can send me a tool (laughs) for for (laughs) organising the the conversion, the crores make it difficult. 10 crore crore is is $1.2 million, roughly. Okay, right. So basically nearly 2 million quid, 1.9, whatever, that Sam Curran's got. And Ben Stokes follows with, you know, 1.6. Harry Brook, the Keithley boy, is up to he's he's got a million quid in his back pocket, um, and as of now, uh, he, we, we needn't say this too loudly because it could be reversed when they fill up for things. But Joe Root hasn't got a gig <laughs> as we speak. Um, Sam Curran. So interesting. Couple of things about Sam Curran. Really, I want to say is that he got released by CSK. I think uh, after he, he had he had quite a bright start, didn't he? He, he bowled a lot. I think yep. he opened the bowling for them even more than he had done for England, really, at the time. He sort of made a bit of a shout and I think he got a hat-trick, did he, in the IPL? And he batted up the top so, of the order as well. So they've, yeah. they they used he, him he, prominently as a kind yeah. of a, a sort of Dwayne Bravo to be, because Dwayne Bravo had been their, mm. their man for, for years and years and years, and they needed to sort of backfill that role, didn't they? Yeah, and then he was released uh, in 21, I think. He then got his injury, I think it was a stress fracture, wasn't it? And wasn't and he wasn't fit enough to be in the mega auction the last the last big one. So actually, I think the stars have aligned amazingly for him this time that he was unattached at just the point when there was an auction with, you know, less bodies around and a few a few rupees still in the pot. And he just so happens to have been the man of player of the tournament in the 2020 World Cup, player of the final. Everyone's looking around for an all-rounder. And they've got a guy who's just being the central figure in the T20 World Cup who's unattached, 
by circumstance. That has been a good little turn of events for Sam Curran in particular. Yeah, well, I mean, you did, obviously being player of the tournament in a World Cup in Australia is going to is going to help matters, isn't it? And it was, mm. and he wasn't just sort of, oh well, I wonder who the player of the tournament is going to be. He he was mm. a standout player, and I've always thought he could do it in the IPL. I've seen him do it many times in the IPL. He's a player. It's a bit of a cliche, but he makes things happen, and <laughs> he's one of those. A cliche, yeah. It is a bit of a cliche, but he's but you know, keeps doing stats it. Are, stats about you know playing in sides that win and. They are. They can be very misleading, you know. Uh, your win-loss ratio as a player in a side. And Sam Curran has a great one for England men's test team. Ed Smith talked about it at length in his book, didn't he? Um, and why he thinks that not is. Sure. It's not just about the pure numbers. It's about what he does um, for the other bowlers in the side and how he balances the, the side. Now, similarly in T20, he, he has a massive impact on games of cricket. So. I'm delighted for him. Harry Brook, it's going to be really interesting to see. He's so successful in Pakistan on those pitches. Indian pitches are not the same. And we are waiting to see how Harry Brook gets on in different conditions because the only other place that we've seen him play really is Australia, outside England. And he didn't have the best of times in the World Cup, in fairness to him. He was batting down the order behind a bunch of established players who were playing rather well. So um, it's very hard to gauge. You'd mm. think that in his IPL side, he won't be batting at five or six. He might be up there in the top three. And we're mm. going to get a better idea of how he plays because that is the number one T20 tournament in the world by a considerable margin. So it's going to be an enormous test for him. And for Ben Stokes, um, how much bowling is he going to do? I mean, is he being bought on the basis that he's an all-rounder? Because he can barely turn his arm over for England in the test match. <laughs> is he going to be bowling... Two or three overs a game for his IPL franchise. I don't know. Well, the thing is, in the T20 World Cup, he picked his moments, didn't he? And he actually mm. bowled very well in the power players. He he, yeah. he he never bowled four overs. Oh, well, he might have done. You know, he didn't he didn't anticipate yeah. to bowl four overs. He anticipated to bowl a couple of impactful overs at, at, at moments in the game where he felt the the macho thing was happening in his favour. So I think I think primarily he's been bought as Ben Stokes. He is Ben Stokes. <laughs> yes. Um, well, and maybe, maybe as a captain Pied as well. Piper of cricket. Mm. And may, maybe hmm? the captain. Maybe the captain. Because, yeah, yeah, but exactly right, yeah. And, and uh, because his stock as captain is probably higher than any other part of his, yeah. uh, of his, of his player worth at the moment. It's almost, I can almost imagine the conversation being around bringing in Ben Stokes. Well, let's get him. Let's work out which part of him we want <laughs> on any given day because he can be a biffer at the top. He can see you through on a sticky one. He can decide he's going to open the bowling. He can captain. He can get in the dressing room and make your 20-year-old Indian left-arm seamer feel like they're a world beater. There's a lot of there's a lot of aspects to Ben Stokes right now. He's in a... I mean, he's more of an immediate hit and a, and a big change in the dressing room. Harry Brook feels like an investment long-term because, I mean, how will he go? Not sure, untested. If he goes like he looks, if he looks at the top end of what he can achieve, he could be a star for years and years and years to come. And if you've got on the ground floor for 1.3 million, crazy as it sounds, could be a really smart investment. I tell you though, Yorkshire fans, and as I've mentioned many times, I am half Yorkshire although not, strictly speaking, a fan, 
Yorkshire fans will be desperately hoping that Joe Root doesn't get picked up by anyone. They've lost Gary Balance. They've lost Harry Brook for the start of the season. They're in the second division. They're desperate to claw their way back into that first division. Their batting stocks Cole are being Cadmore's depleted. Cadmore's gone, hasn't he, as well? I think. All right, Cadmore's gone. So it's not going to be it's not going to be easy for them to turn things around and try and get back that Div One mm. status with some of their best batters disappearing. That's right. That's right. But uh, and, I mean, the other the other question just before we go uh, that I was keen to ask is where does a two million one point nine million pound payday where does that leave Sam Curran's test aspirations? He's played 20-odd tests. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's been around that test team. He's not, it's not obvious, not obvious at all where he fits into it right now. And the garden is looking so rosy for him in T20 cricket right now that it's an interesting question to ask how much he wants to give to it and, and how hard he wants to battle to get a look into mm-hmm. a team that, that he doesn't immediately, obviously get into. Indeed. I think it might be that this has come at exactly the right time for Sam Curran and that getting back into the test team is a project for a year or two away when Anderson and Broad have both gone. Um, And at the moment, they're both still there. So it's very hard with Ollie Robinson to see where he would fit in that with the likes of Archer, Wood and Wokes and Stone and Potts, all in the mix. It's, all the lads. One's cup runneth over. Right, it's time for us to say goodbye. Um, before we do, uh, wishing you the very finest season's greetings in the year that apparently we discovered that there are now fewer than half of British people identify as Christians. So I wouldn't presume that you are celebrating the birth of the baby Jesus. You might just be celebrating the chance to have some time off work. You may be a Festivus fan festival for the rest of us if you're that way inclined <laughs> or you might be I thought that was a metal band <laughs> no it's it's uh, it's from seinfeld it's what george costanza's parents celebrate because <laughs> okay. they don't believe in christmas so they have festivus the no. festival for the rest of us or you may just be celebrating christmas as per normal whatever it is you're doing have the loveliest of times and thank you so much this year for listening to 99.94 we will be back before the end of the year we'll do a little 2022 review and what a year it's been it began with england absolutely abject and it's ended with them double world champions in the white ball format and increasingly the team to beat in the red ball i don't know how any of it's happened rory and i are going to try and get our heads around that thanks for listening to england cricket on 99.94 where we speak cricket every day Please rate, review and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at Norcross Cricket, in my case and in your case, Rory. At the RVD. Never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994DM. Cricket, every day, your way. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, 
industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!